So we're back, Joe Jennings, aerial cinematographer. So we talked about some of the pitfalls of uh, skydiving, which are pretty serious, and that means <coughs> loss of life. Right. But we're going to move on from there and talk about why would somebody, why would some advertiser ad agency hire somebody like yourself to promote you their know, what product? I've, what I've learned over the years is that a lot of times advertising is, you know, more about just getting people's attention and associating your brand to it than it is about telling people about your product. Um, you know, Coke, Pepsi, Honda, um, Chevy, um, you know, these companies, they, they want exposure, they want name recognition, and so, you know, they'll come up with some kind of a, some kind of a clever idea and some kind of a clever way to get people's attention and then just kind of quickly get their message out. I mean, rarely do you see commercials where it's like, hello, we have this really cool new car and it has all these, you know, all of these cool um, um, options and so on and so forth. People, you know, people just tune out. I mean, they do some of that, but, um, you know, they want attention getting stuff. It's all about attention getting stuff. And so, you know, they'll come to me with a story that really has, often has nothing to do uh, with their product whatsoever. Um, you know, be it, you know, beer or soda or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, it's, you know what, it, 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 it's about selling kind of like a lifestyle. Uh, you know, somebody will, will see something and it, it, it just, it looks like adventure. It looks like outdoors. It looks like this, you know, desirable thing. And people are drawn to it, and then the product is associated with it. So, you know, that's kind of how I see it, because I don't see a direct connection a lot of times So how do these the brands find you? How do these... Is it always through an agency? Tell me, t t t take well, me through that journey. Yeah, I mean, generally it's, um, you know, an, uh, I mean, on occasion, the, the client, you know, the end client, um, meaning the... Um, the brand or the company, you know, people from their company will contact me directly. So, you know, but most of the time, the, the bigger companies are working with ad agencies. It's just like, it, it's like you or any, any other company. It's like, you know, you're too busy making and selling a product to be an ad agency. Whereas, you know, people from ad agencies are, that's what they do. That's what they focus on, you know, messaging and so on and so forth. That's kind of like their, you know, that's what they think about. It's what they pay attention to. So they become good at it. And so, yeah, most big companies will have an ad agency and then the ad agency will um, get a, they'll get a basic concept um, or they'll develop a concept and they'll go to the client and say, well, you know, how do you like this concept? How do you like that concept? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And then um, let's just say, uh, you know, the concept has skydiving in it. Um, the client might say, yeah, yeah, that sounds, you know, exhilarating and fun. And it, you know, kind of feels like what we'd like to say. And then so the ad agency now has this, you know, concept. And what they'll do is they'll reach out to producers and they might reach out to four or five different producers to get bids on uh, you know, to get, just to get bids on what it'll cost to make it. But they also want to see, you know, the 
production companies come with directors and the directors uh, you know they will present their own vision of what the story is and how to tell it and really it's like you know whoever I think comes up with the best uh, you know the best price and the best ideas about how to tell that story uh, and 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 sometimes it's not about it's not so much about the prices it is about like okay what vision does this director have and so you see all of this creative kind of you know like sometimes I'll read these you know creative discussions on a particular topic and they're just all over the map and I'm just like I, I'm I just want to see like what do we need to perform you know um, the flowery so language that they use often I'm just like oh okay who's contacting you for the initial job. Um, I'll usually hear from a producer. And so, how, do that, how does that producer know that you even exist? You know, at first it was like, you know, winning the extreme games and, and just being, um, having a whole lot of exposure. Uh, then it was, um, it, so, so back in the day it was all about advertising in industry magazines like LA 411 was a big oh, one. Okay. Um, New York 411. These are like production um, guides. Yeah, production guides. Uh, the Hollywood Blue Book. Um, you know, there were a number of uh, places where you wanted to get your ads Those in. days are long gone. They kind of are. You know, like I, I still have a presence on their websites, but, you know, today if somebody's looking for an aerial cinematographer, they're going to go to the internet, you know. And... Um, and, and it's also a fair amount of word of mouth like you know producers you know I've been involved with production now for over two decades mm -hmm. and so you know you, you build a name in the industry and right. you know I've, I've built a really good reputation over time I mean like um, because I used to produce I am um, I kind of I, I can empathize with what a producer is going through and you know, and and I want to them to succeed as much as they do. Like I really, you know, I really want to get the job done. And I just love to work hard. It's like, you know, um, if if I need to sweat, do you and see run it, around do, and do you, sweat? Do you even see it as work, or do you just see it as like a journey that's fun to go on? Yeah, it's it's kind of a journey, but sometimes it it really does become, you know, it just becomes nose to the grindstone work. You know, like we have to build things and get it ready within like three days. And, you know, we might be doing all nighters leading up to it. And so sometimes it's, you know, it's really a grind. And, you know, and then and then on the shoot day, it's like, you know, I, the more I can the more I can go up and jump, the better. It's like as a camera person, I want more shots. I want more opportunities to capture something. So I think producers really like that, you know, and over time they, they just see me as somebody with a strong work ethic, you know, mm -hmm. and when, when, people, when, when people feel that, you know, they're going to recommend you, you know, and so um, word of mouth is, is uh, you know, it's a big thing for me. I have to admit that, you know, I really was slacking like the past few years. Um, I, In what I area? Well, I wasn't keeping my website updated. I wasn't doing any social media. Um, I mean, I'd post something every now and then, but it was like, ugh, I just and did wasn't that hurt really into your it. business getting jobs? I, I imagine it did, but word of mouth carried uh, carried me through. Um, 
but you know, I realized, okay, it's time to update my site, make it more responsive, make it easier for people with phones to look at, etc. So et when cetera. you're getting a phone call from a producer, somebody who's looking to use your service, who are you competing against? Who, who else are they considering? Are they are like are you? Yeah. Are you the it guy? No, not really. I mean, um, there there was a period of time where I was. Um, I really I was doing more work really than anybody else in the industry, and I think a big part of that had to do with you know the notoriety and the X Games and everything else. And my demo reel was was really unique. Um, I was doing, you know, a lot more three-dimensional things than the other cinematographers, and so I just, I had, um, you know, I, I, I had a really, really good run, and I've continued to have a good run. I really have, um, but, you know, the sport is evolving. Um, lots of different people are learning different ways to fly, uh, and a, really a big factor was... Um, Back in the day, film, it was not easy to use and expose. You really kind of had to be an artist. You really had to be, you had to know your exposures. You had to know your camera. Everything was manual. And, you know, it was hard. And not a lot of people could do it. All right. And so I there think, was a high barrier to entry to get into your, into your field, so to speak. Yes. What's it like now? Do you have people competing against you with just gluing a GoPro camera to their helmet? Yeah, yeah, because GoPro's acceptable for television, you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, wow. Yeah, and so, you know, there are, there are a fair amount of producers out there that they can get um, they can get something for pennies on the dollar, you know, and they can get somebody who's a really good flyer and, you know, have them go up with their friends and get some fun stuff with the GoPro, right. and it looks really good, you know? Okay, so you're competing against that. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, you know, back when I was shooting film, you know, there, there, there weren't GoPros around, you know. Uh, GoPro was just beginning to come out. Um, so GoPro's been a factor. And also, you know, digital technology with, like, digital SLRs, um, you know, like still cameras and whatnot that shoot video, um, they capture you know, beautiful images. Um, they now have, you know, lightweight digital cinema cameras like the, um, the Blackmagic. I mean... It's only a matter of time before uh, before the equipment becomes lighter and easier to right. use. Right now, though, the cameras that I'm jumping with, which are yeah, what are you what are you what are you currently using? Yeah, yeah. So my primary camera is a Red Dragon 6K digital cinema, fully raw. What did that camera. cost you? Um, cost me seventy five thousand bucks when oh, I first got it. That's pretty simple. But um, it's also really leveled the playing field because it. A producer can take a red and bring it to somebody, put it on their head, and tell them how to turn it on. You just turn it on and go. They do the settings for you on the ground, and off you go, right? So um, I've learned how to, you know, do all the settings and everything because I, I want to be able to, you know, film my own stuff. So I, I understand the camera really well, and um, it's been a it's been a terrific tool. It, the 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 other camera that I jump with is an Alexa Mini. Um, and you know, the Red and the Alexa are both pretty freaking big. I mean, there's, there's, they're big and heavy, and not a lot of people can carry them. Uh, 
I've, you know, over the years, I've built up some just really weird muscles in my neck that are very protective. Like my body does all kinds of movements in order to get to something because, you know, every, your arms and legs and everything, it's like surface areas that touch the wind and you, you use every part of your body to get somewhere to film something. And, um, and then the idea is, you know, all right, how do you compensate for that movement with your neck to keep the image relatively stable and, and well-framed? It's like, you know, a drummer learning how to play the drums really, really well. Mm -hmm. It's like my whole job was about three-dimensional flying and framing its stability. And then also learning about storytelling and, and how to choreograph things to get a certain, you know, look and feel. And, um, you know, it's a whole combination of things like learning how to um, take direction and how to, you know, apply it in a way that fits the director's vision, you know. Who do you compete against? Like, who do you... Who, who are you up against where they, they they play the game, the producer plays the games like, I'm thinking of hiring uh, Bob Smith and he only charges this amount. Do you play the slippery slope down to zero with your uh, with your money or do you sit there and like, here's my price, hire me, I'm damn good? Pretty much, here's my price, hire me, I'm damn good. Um, and, you know, I think it's, a, a lot of it is about the demo reel but it's also about, you know, who are your contacts in right. the motion picture community. So, you know, um, there, there are a couple of guys out there who are currently um, my two main competitors in the industry. And that would be um, a guy named Craig O'Brien, mm -hmm. um, who also has a competitive background in camera flying. And Norman Kent, who, you know, is just a great artist. Uh, and, and, a, and a great cinematographer. And you're not rivals, you're friends with these people, correct? Correct. Like, we, we are rivals, and we do bid against each other, and we want the work, um, but yet, um, we, you know, we just, we really like each other, and we can relate to each other. We have the same problems. We have the same, you know, visions and whatnot. But we have different skill sets and different styles. And so there's some things I feel like I'm better at than them. And then there's things that they feel like they're better at than me and so on and so forth. But it's a very narrow market. Like when they're basically there's, it gets down to like three people, correct? Super small market, I think for the big fat cameras. But, you know, really what opens it up is the, the fact that um, smaller cameras and DSLRs and all of that are really acceptable for a lot okay, of things. Yep. So it's like... You know, and, and a lot of times producers don't really under, don't really think of a camera flyer as somebody who knows how to tell a story. They just think of you as, as sort of a tool, a piece to the piece to the puzzle, a piece and the not puzzle. really somebody who knows the artistry of producing. Yeah, um, and so you know, they'll, they'll be just like, well, a the story. GoPro's good, and we could just stick it on this guy's head, and as long as they're in the air <laughs> together, it's going to look great, right? Right. Um, and, and, you know, but if they looked side by side at something that a, you know, a trained cinematographer is going to get for them, um, I think there's, I think there's a huge difference. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. How did you get to that level of considering yourself a trained cinematographer? I, I won one Emmy uh, through um, ESPN X Games. They used my footage to present 
and um, and I got an Emmy, you know. So would that and, be a bargaining chip when you're talking to somebody going, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's an, I, I don't generally bring it up. Um, the, um, yeah, I mean, the Emmy, the Emmy's been great to have, you know, and, and, um, and then I got another one with MTV Sports um, where... Um, you know, the producer won an Emmy based on the footage that I was filming. And so the producer kind of shared it with me. Right. And, you know, Rob and I took it up in the air and, and, and you know, we were able to photograph it in the air and all that fun stuff. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, but I, I can't really say it was my Emmy, but the producer definitely said, yeah, this is like, right. this is your Emmy, you know. Um, so, yeah, so winning an Which Emmy was awesome. Which is a big awesome. achievement. It, it was big, and and again, the reason the reason I won it was it was all about training. I mean, it was all about training. Um, you know, th- really thousands of jumps with Rob, learning how to capture something mm-hmm. extraordinary. Right. Um, so you know, it's like I was able to present stuff that really people had never seen those angles people have never I mean today people can do it of course right you know they they learn about what you, what you did and how you did it and they and they do it themselves right sort of rinse and repeat yeah pretty much and <laughs> and people are flying beautifully today they do training and wind tunnels and they they just fly incredibly well and um, but at the time um, I was showing stuff that that was really unique and so um so how do you stay competitive how do you have that edge over your competition where obviously you're still you're still in the game and you still rely on this for an income so you know you're not uh, this is all i do you're not sent out into the you know out into the field to retire so i think you know what i think it makes me competitive is is you know I have a great support structure I work with people who are really good and have a great work ethic um, word of mouth uh, you know people really like what we do and they like us um, and um, you know I, I actually have what one of the skill sets that I have that that um, that is pretty rare I mean I've thrown uh, more I've thrown out I, I've thrown more objects Mm -hmm. into the air whether it's like you know a flying car or sofas or trucks or um computers or you name it and you know all different kinds of objects and um i have learned how to make them fly uh right side up so my input is pretty important when when we're filming objects in the sky because I have a sense of it. I have kind of an so organic So when you're selling yourself, do you have to explain this to people? Like, okay, it's not just throw your stuff out of an airplane and, and film it. There's all these other things that have to be considered. And then, of course, they're going to be like, oh, I didn't know that. Because they're, yeah. not, they're not doing that for a living. They're hiring a professional, an expert. And this is why everybody can't do what you do. So it's a very niche market and somebody with all your experience they're like well obviously this guy knows what he's doing he's been doing it for years he's alive and well and uh 
and he continues to do it. Yeah. And so. Um, and yeah, that's and that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, the. You know, falling objects are are not that. I mean, it's not that easy. I mean, these things move all around the sky. They have different surface areas, and they zip around the sky, and you literally have to dodge them, you know, because they come at you. You want to go after them, so you're chasing them, and suddenly they're chasing you back, and you need to be able to side slip and let them go by. And now, when I film a car or a truck in free fall, um, I can kind of see which way it's starting to tip, and I'll know where it's going. And my body will automatically respond. I don't have to think about it. So if you're I, anticipating. Yeah, for sure. Like, if I had to think about it, I'd be half a second behind the curve, and which means I'm losing a shot. Oh, and, you know, the, the, the one topic we discussed earlier about um, the falling out I had in the stunt community when I was first getting into it, um, I had a, you know, really a deep competitive background um, you know I, I I trained and trained and trained uh, and you know I was in this whole competitive arena and I could see what trained skydivers were capable of doing people who had dedicated thousands of jumps to their training flew much more gracefully and were much more air aware than regular skydivers uh, but at the time uh, when I got into the industry, when a producer wanted to film skydiving stunts, the the protocol was to bring in the stunt people. Um, and there were a number of stunt people who could skydive. And so the natural thing to do was bring in the stunt people. You know, skydiving was considered a stunt. I saw it, it more like surfing, right? You, you, you wouldn't hire a stunt person who knows how to surf if you want to get a really epic surfing scene. It's like you really want to hire people who are super good, you know? And that's how I saw it. And um, so, you know, as I was coming into the industry, there'd be one commercial or a TV show or something else. I did a lot of TV shows and commercials and, you know, They'd be like, okay, we want to film this. And I would think about somebody who, you know, I had seen at a competition just killing it. You know, like they just, they could just do it beautifully. And, you know, and I felt, I always felt like I'm, I'm only as good as the people I film, right? I can fly the camera really well, but if the person in front of me isn't, you know, if they're not doing something extraordinary, the shot is, yeah, it's going to look okay, but not great, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> some of the first experiences I had with stunt people were really limited. Like, so these are stunt people, but not they're not skydivers all their life, like you. Yeah, like you know, they might have seven or eight hundred or a thousand jumps, or you know, um, but you know, they've never really trained in you know freestyle or sky surfing or you know something that really right. makes them fly their bodies aggressively, and so. Um, you know, and when a job would come, it's like, well, you know, here's the guy, you know, here's the, here's the person I think we should use, or here's the girl I think we should use. And, you know, I know that they're going to be able to work with me, 
like they're gonna they're gonna look across they're gonna give me eye contact and they're gonna perform their moves and we're gonna be able to choreograph things because I know that on the on the ride up to altitude they're gonna have their eyes closed and they're gonna be visualizing the same way uh, we do in competitions where you're on the plane ride up there's a ton of pressure uh, and you but you visualize the movements you're gonna do and then you perform them and so I always appreciated that when I know I'm gonna film somebody and I see them with their eyes closed on the way up they're not they're not rattling off talking about stuff on the way up they're focused on what they need to perform and um, and so you know those are the people I wanted to bring in and, and what what happened was you know in the Screen Actors Guild, it's it's it really is kind of a no-no to bring in more and more people. You you know the the stunt people see it as like you're really diluting the pool of talent. You're bringing in all of these new people, and we can handle it. You know, like we can do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's not not you're not doing it quite as nice. You know, you're not. Uh, we're, we're not interacting in the air. You're, you know, you're talking on the way up to altitude. You're not focused on the dive or whatever the case. You know, whatever the case. Um, some people in the stunt community were, were exceptionally great flyers, so I had no problem working with them. But, um, but anyway, they kind of, you know. So, so what happened was um, early on, it was like, okay, this guy is getting into the industry. He's bringing in a bunch of outsiders. It's not cool. He's an elitist. He, he only wants to use his, you know, his, um, I don't know, like elite skydivers who, you know, they aren't even stunt people. They have no business doing stunts, the skydiving stunts. And, um, and my feeling was that, and, and they also felt like, you know, I'm bringing in people who can't handle the, the pressure of production. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm compromising their safety. But my feeling was, if, if they've, I mean, I know the feeling of my adrenaline flowing, my heart is pounding out of my chest, I'm scared, and yet I'm performing at my best in a competition. And I know that these people feel the same way, and so they know pressure. And so I know they can handle production. I know they can handle demands from production producers. And so my feeling was, no, these people are perfectly competent, you know, and, and in my opinion, even better. And um, so, you know, there was a big disagreement and, and there were a lot of um, stunt people and stunt coordinators at the time who, uh, they just were not interested in working with me. Uh, and, and frankly, at the time, um, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I was a world champion and all this other cool stuff, um, but I was pretty insecure too. Like, you know, I, you know, as a kid, I was kind of an outsider and suddenly I'm like included and accepted and, you know, admired and all that stuff. I didn't know how to handle it, you know? And so, um, if a stunt coordinator, uh, was, you know, if they had a problem with me, it was hard for me to have the confidence to address it directly and to have a conversation. It was like I would just avoid them. And, you know, so there was some immaturity on my part as well. And um, so 
as a result, you know, there, there are a lot of big projects that I have not been included in and continue not to be included in uh, because, mainly because of my start, mainly because of my start in the industry and going about it the wrong way, in their opinions. Um, in my opinion, though, um, I mean, even, even today, I have no regrets, you know. Um, I only regret that I didn't reach out to them more and just say, guys, please understand, I'm not, you know, I'm not an elitist. Um, I, you know, this is just how I, you know, approach this. Because today, I think most stunt coordinators are pretty much aware, like, if you want somebody to do something beautiful, you get people who are trained for it. So it's understood today. But, you know, when I came into the industry, it was less, it was less understood. Do you think you help people change that perception? Yeah, I, I, I guess I had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah I think so. I probably did. <laughs> I mean, we shot some extraordinary things, and I think people would see it on TV and go, whoa. So speaking of extraordinary things, um, <laughs> let's talk about the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I have three ads in the Super Bowl so far. So that's pretty cool. Kind of um, a big deal. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> See, one of them was for Lexus. Um, the other one was for, I freaking forget. I don't know why I'm not remembering well, I remember the one clearly. Um, and then there was another one for uh, for Pepsi. That's the one I remember. Yeah, and it was great because that, that won the best, uh, you know, voted the best Super Bowl ad that year. <clears throat> and it won a Clio. So, you know, like part of me says, you know, because it was all my shots, it was like, I think I won a Clio, but I didn't. I didn't win it. The producer won it. But um, but I mentioned it on my resume because the commercial won it, right? Um, but the um, um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, the, there was this Pepsi commercial with a sky surfer, you know, racing around the sky, zooming past, and then he's kind of, you know, as he's going across the sky, this this goose flies up next to him, and the guy looks at the goose, the goose looks back at him, the guy drops into some kind of a cool maneuver, and the goose is like, I can do that. <laughs> so then the goose does the maneuver, right? That's funny. <clears throat> and then the sky surfer does a maneuver. And I was using a world champion sky surfer at the time, a guy named Troy Hartman, who was a, you know, great talent. And, um, and you know, my job actually on that job was pretty complex because I had to keep, as I'm filming the sky surfer, I had to keep him in certain parts of the frame so that the goose could be put in. So it was all about like framing the action so that the goose is there and they're interacting. So it was like, he needs to be here. You know, I'd come down on the ground with a great shot and they'd be like, that's not going to work. You know, because we need, you know, the goose has to go there. Oh, that's right. You know, so that was a big learning experience. The, the director of that commercial is a guy named Kinka Usher. Um, and, um, I mean, he just, he just, hit a home run with that but that was that was a great that was a great project it was funny because on the ground they were you know filming a real goose 
flying into a fan, like a trained goose flying into a fan. So some of the elements were a trained goose, some of the elements were a digital goose. Um, and how were they you there when off, they're, I mean, were you there when they were doing that filming? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, they were filming that on the ground while we were doing the sky, sky surfing, filming the sky surfing. So let's <clears throat> talk about some of the technology that's used in skydiving and used in cameras, because I remember when you were at the Extreme Games, there was a microwave transmitter on your helmet, which was amazing. And so, from what I remember, they were able to, correct me if I'm wrong, was it for telemetry, or was it a live feed coming off your camera? But I just remember this, this microwave little transmitter thing that was on your helmet. Yeah, we were probably cooking our brains with those things. God knows, <laughs> you know. Well, God microwave knows. oven on your head. Yeah, because, you know, yeah, we were jumping with these transmitters attached to our helmets. For what purpose? To, so that the X Games could broadcast our jumps live. Um, I think we, we would have lost a lot if we were just bringing in tapes and they were judging our tapes. I think... Um, that part of the attraction to watching it live was if something, you know, I mean, just like an NASCAR racer, you know, if something goes wrong, you're seeing it. You're seeing it live. If you're seeing a sky surfer have a problem or spin out of control or something dangerous happen with their parachute or whatever, you're literally seeing it live. And so there's, um, you know, I think the X Games covered it beautifully. Um, and, you know, and they won an Emmy for it, and so did I. Um, the, um, you know, the transmitter would, would send the signal down live, we would do our routines, and the commentators would be, they'd be seeing the live feed and making their comments on live TV. It was really cool. You know, like if they say, okay, the airplane's up there right now, and they're getting ready to go, and so forth and so forth. It was true. We were up there getting ready to go. And I think, you know, and the sky surfing got great ratings because of it. Um, over the years, sky surfing was pulled from the X Games. Um, and I think in large part, you know, they're just, there's a number of things like kids can't get into the sport. Um, it's cost prohibitive to get in the sport. Um, there's no merchandising. You can't sell skateboards and clothing and all that stuff because who wants to buy a jumpsuit? Um, so, you know, they're, they're, it was also a very expensive and complicated event, and it was weather-dependent. So there were just so many factors that made it, like, just kind of fade from ESPN's Extreme Games. And... Um, and, you know, it's interesting that skydivers in general lost interest in sky surfing. There's only a few people out there who are sky surfing. Um, one guy in particular, his name is Sean McCormick. Um, he's, a, he's a rare talent. He's like our age, right? 55, 56. He is um, like a machine. He's an incredible... He, he reminds me of Rob Harris... But I love filming them. I love being in the air with them because it's just, 
it's just like I just feel like you know I'm just getting right back on that bicycle it just feels so natural like again it's like I can like sort of respond preemptively to things it's like I, I have an understanding where an understanding where things are going I can you know I understand the choreography of it it's like it didn't go away you know so where do you see this hobby sport uh, evolving is it a, does it is it does it evolve or does it pretty much just maintain and continue on oh I I think I think uh, for sure it's gonna evolve I mean just in the past couple of decades in the last decade alone um, it you know human flight has evolved um, human flight is a thing you know flying the human body or you know, putting on suits and literally flying, and I think the technology is going to evolve. Um, you know, it there. Like, you know, one day when I'm an old man, you know, I'll be telling kids about, you know, my skydiving adventures, and right. be like, you know, well, that's how I get to school, Grandpa. You know, I definitely see it continuing, evolving, uh, you know, and just becoming like something that, like, right now we. It's, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, but I, I also want to know about um, one time you were like in Dubai. You're like, yeah, I'm jumping off of this building. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> when I went over to Dubai, I, I went there for um, a number of years. And, it, it, you know, it, it, was a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was really, really cool. And for a period of time, I, I was flying camera for the Crown Prince, who's an avid skydiver and um, you know I was there for his first skydive uh, and then I got to be a part of his entourage for a period of time and that was that was an amazing adventure and, um, but the thing is I really wasn't you know I wasn't I wasn't happy I really wasn't happy there but, you know it was an extraordinary place but you know I had two, I had two little kids at home you know, one of them who wouldn't even talk to me, he'd just sit there and cry on Skype, you know what I mean? And it's like, so my heart was breaking. So I, I was kind of a basket case when I was over there. Each time I'd go, the longer I stayed, the worse it would get, you know? And it's like, um, I just, you know, it was, it was a good paying gig, it was a great adventure, but unfortunately, I just wasn't happy, you know? And um, the, the last time I was there, you know, was when, um, my wife Sissy uh, was having this this um, hyperactive thyroid, and her heart was, you know, going off the charts. And um, and I um, I was over in Dubai, and we're skyping, you know, for example, and you know, and she's in a hospital bed, and um, telling me, no, it's cool, stay there, you know, because you know, I mean, it's a good paying job. She needs the money just as much as I do. Um, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, like somebody will grab the monitor out of her hand, all these bells and whistles go off and all these people are around her trying to like manage something. And it was like this like intense moment around her bed. And I'm just like, I can't stay. I, I gotta go. And I was on a plane the next day and I, I flew home from Dubai before I finished what I was supposed to film. So, but that was me, you know, I was just so homesick. It was like, I was just looking, it was like. The bottom line is you did the right thing. 
You know, I always yeah. say to, in my life, family first. Family first. And, and, the, and the fact is, you know, I just... I didn't want to uproot Sissy and the kids and move them out to Dubai uh, to do that work for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that um, I, I didn't think they would like it. Um, and the other is that I had a really, really good career at home. A really good career. And I didn't want to compromise it. So what if I went away for two years and two years are up and I'm like, has been in the industry, you know, but they don't need me anymore in Dubai or something. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'd be just like giving up my career. So, you know, basically, right, so I'm 57 now. Um, luckily, you know, my, my body is still in really good condition. Um, I'm in no pain. Uh, even though I have put my body through the works over the years, um, I feel good. I feel strong. I'm not in pain, right? But I'm 57, and I know that I can't do this forever, right? right there's so, a time where you need to think of something different other than jumping out of... Right, right. What's the end game? Like, So I've, what's... Well, end game or next chapter. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, for me, it's it's like I'd like to do it for another five, maybe ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sort of slow down a bit um, and maybe start doing more just fun jumping where I'm not, you know, carrying the heavy cameras and have a big load of pressure on me. Yeah, I just recognize that. But the thing is, I feel good. I have lots of ideas. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm still reaching out to stunt coordinators and meeting people right. and getting myself out there. But, you know, I started thinking to myself a while ago, you know, like, okay, how, how, like, if I start to be in pain, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to keep going if, if, if I start feeling stiff and in pain and have neck and back problems. I'd recommend to stay off of ladders. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm um, you know, I started looking into other things. You know, I started looking into the solar industry, which I believe in, and I think it's really cool. And I'm, But what happened is last year I started dabbling in it, and then this year I just had, you know, I just an amazing year and uh, with a whole lot of production stuff right and production is my priority right so but you know but I am thinking like I can't do this I can't do this forever you know if so I, what I, are you gonna do I mean, after you dude I, I've had retire such from a good, this I've had such a good run I want to get out of this in one piece I want to get out of it alive in one piece tell stories you know, and embellish the stories, make them even better than they were, you know, when I'm an old man. Um, and um, carry on, you know, get get a normal job, I guess, you know, just uh, maybe keep doing photography or doing whatever, but, um, you know, get a job that doesn't require, uh, you know, such a pounding on my body. But right now, what's kept me in it is is swimming. You know, swimming is, has been my chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I swim, I lift some weights, um, just keep my body fit, and just, you know, it, just try to extend my ability to keep doing it. So what is advice you would give somebody who is, as you're transitioning out of this interesting profession of yours, somebody who's young and that 
that gets inspired by this podcast and says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do that. What, what, what advice would you give them to get into the industry? How does somebody get into this? Yeah. Um, I would say, first of all, you can do it, you know, bite off more than you can chew and then just chew hard. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, I think a lot of people limit themselves. Um, you know, they see other people doing it and they think, you know, how, how can I, how can I do that? You know? Um, but I think that, you know, just pushing yourself to try new things. Um, I would say, you know, build up, build up your flying skills, um, get into competitive skydiving, get into training. Um, if you do that, you're going to build up skills that will serve you, uh, on a whole number of levels. They'll, you know, you'll have a muscle memory that is strong and good and you don't have to think so much. You, you just perform. Um, and you'll have an ability to handle the pressure because you know what it's like to train all year for, to perform in one competition, you know, right. You know, you know how to handle pressure anyway. So yeah, I think competitive skydiving was one of the things that served me, um, the best, you know, as a camera flyer. But, yeah, it's like, if you're interested in it, um, do it. it. And it may take some time to get the training, but the training is freaking fun. I mean, the training is, like, the best part because you're learning. You're learning new skills. You're learning how to fly your body. So it's not like, oh, God, it's going to take me all these jumps to do it. It's like, those jumps are great. Those jumps are a lot of fun, and you're learning a lot. So um, I think it's just it's totally worth the journey. If, um, you know, and if you're, if you're a young person listening to this, I mean, your potential is off the charts. Okay, cool. So that you know, you wraps up this podcast do, really. with Joe Jennings, aerial <laughs> cinematographer. Thank you for this. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, just getting to relive all of this stuff. You, you got know, to straighten up the fly right, it. my friend. <laughs> straighten up the fly right. I'll do my best. Cue music.